0: Welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Classicist is Victor Davis Hanson, the Morton and Ilya Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. So, Victor, this is our first conversation since the presidential election has been called for Joe Biden. The Trump campaign, of course, still planning on pressing their case in court, but looking more and more like this is a done deal. And in reflecting on what the Trump administration will have meant. Uh, I want to use as our point of departure a line in a piece that you have up today at American Greatness, where you say, perhaps bad men can do a few good things, but they cannot do a lot of good things. And Trump did a lot more good for the country than than had prior supposedly good presidents. Explain what you mean by that.
1: Donald Trump recalibrated the entire Middle East he got out of the Iran deal and exposed it as a fraud. He got out of the Climate Accord and showed that we could meet those guidelines without sacrificing our economy. He was the first person to warn about China. That's changed that entire dialogue. He had record low minority unemployment. He was he didn't appoint a David Souter or an Anthony Kennedy to the court or nominate a Harriet Myers. All of his appointments have been pretty good, There a lot of them. He did actually rebuild most 400 miles of wall or add some to it. Uh, Mexican troops are on the border trying to discourage in, entry into our country under illegal auspices. We're the largest oil and natural gas producer. You can frack on federal. I could go on, but he did a lot. It's changed the lives. And you can see it. You could see it before the virus. So, uh, and just visually, when you went around and saw people building homes and everybody working and my telltale symptom was i always noticed these signs now hiring work wanted and i never had seen those in my adult life in this area which was destroyed by globalization the area between fresno and bakersfield or bakersfield sacramento but so he did a lot of good and so the idea that because he said haiti was a blank hole or you know Uh, the squad should go back where they came. Yeah, they were indiscreet, they were sloppy, but they didn't compare with the good he did. And we had a lot of sober and judicious people who in the past have done a lot of bad things, and they've said a lot of things too. I I put in that piece, ironically, that everybody was saying he has to be Reagan-like. Why couldn't he be a happy warrior? But I don't think they remember Ronald Reagan. I, I grew up with him. And I grew up in a democratic household. I liked Reagan. In fact, I voted for him over my parents' objections when I was very young. And uh, you know, he said, "If you're going to have a bloodbath up there at People's Park, let's get it over with. And if the Hearst family is going to be leveraged and they got to give free food to the <laughs> to the Black Panthers, let's hope it's got bot- botulism in it. And ha <laughs> ha, let's on a hot mic as I'm talking to you." What if I was President of the United States on this mic right now? I said, we start bombing the Soviet Union in five minutes with 7,500 nuclear weapons. How did that go over? So what I'm getting at is not that I didn't think those were big deals, but everybody tolerated them. Because, But all of a sudden, we got this new standard that this outsider has to play by these rules that we never even reinforced enforced on our own. And like I said in prior, he, It wasn't like he took his phallus in his hand like LBJ and compared it to Ho Chi Minh or he deflowered an 18-year-old intern or he did something that Bill Clinton did or an administration inadvertently, I think. But nevertheless, a lot of us thought when we got into Iraq, there were going to be all sorts of troves of WMD. I think a lot of it was moved. But whatever the reason was, that was not, you know, Colin Powell gave that lecture at the UN. I believed him. I, I don't think I would today. So what I'm getting at is they say, applied a standard that
0: was not related to reality, really. Victor, There's no question about it. Even if you strip away all of the personality dynamics with Trump, which are obviously sui generous, his his Republican Party was not George W. Bush's party. It wasn't Mitt Romney's party or Paul Ryan's party. It wasn't even the Ted Cruz of a few years ago's party. As a substantive matter, it took different positions It held different priorities. And as the results of this election make clear, even in what's likely a defeat, it assembled a different coalition. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on what the implications are there for the future of the Republican Party.
1: Well, if he had lost the Senate as predicted and lost 10 seats in the House as predicted, and he either failed to meet his minority uh guidelines or he got what he got last time or uh he was a he was a anchor rather than a boy on on ballot and i think he'd be in real trouble but the opposite happened the republicans are now bragging that they did very well in the state legislatures they're going to pick up somewhere between 10 and 13 seats in the house despite the acrimony to come in georgia there's a good chance they'll hold the senate and he got uh, six or seven million votes more than he did last time, and most of the votes that decided the election are still under contention, and he's he's arguing that they were not fairly recorded. So all of that doesn't yet uh, equate to a refutation of him. Had it had that not been true, then yes, you would see people coming in, whether that was the the Paul Ryan archetype or the Marco Rubio or the Nikki Haley and say, we've got to cool the rhetoric. We've got to uh, give some amnesties. The border could be open. Let's take a look at tariffs. We maybe we can have a detente with China. Uh, We don't have to really polarize people with these federalist conservative judges. Let's get some more people that are you know a little bit more moderate but i don't think that's going to happen and i don't think that anybody who wants it to happen has made a coherent argument that you know i have a mirror something along the following lines i have a miraculous formula for getting eight to ten million people in the midwest back into the party because uh, i'm really i'm really appealing to blue-collar workers about reindustrialization or something, I don't think they have figured that out yet, so I don't think they're going to deviate much from from the trump initiative and after all, Troy to be frank, ninety percent of what trump did was was republicanism, you know it was low taxes, deregulation, more energy development uh oppose uh radical abortion. Uh, Watch out for these social questions, uh, Title IX, all that. What was different were three or four issues that we've discussed so often that it was illegal immigration, get tough on it, get tough on China. We're not going to hollow out the Midwest and we're going to close the border. And then he added his style that
0: we're going to win ugly rather than, than lose nobly so the projection right now for what the federal government is going to look like come late january if you have a democratic presidential administration a supreme court that's dominated by conservatives democrats with what looks like a very narrow majority in the house still possible the democrats could eke out a skin of their teeth majority in the senate with the special elections in georgia but doesn't look that likely so you're probably talking about the narrowest of majorities for republicans there This is a distribution of power really unlike anything we've seen in Washington for a long time. So if that is the scenario, what are you anticipating here? What encourages you? What worries you?
1: Well, short term, what worries me is that this we've never really seen often in history two Senate races. I don't think we've ever seen two Senate races in one state um, that will decide whether we pack the court and whether we have additional states added to the union and whether we end the electoral college or get rid of the filibuster. So what was considered decided supposedly with, by those who think Biden's going to has a sure win won't be decided for another two months. They're going to be decided. In Georgia, it's it's Georgia, it's Georgia after all. It's right next to Alabama. So everybody thinks, you know, it's a conservative state. Both of these Republicans have polled very strongly, but polls were not necessarily in need of weaponization. I have a feeling that the polls will start to show quote unquote, the race is tightening or Georgia is no longer a red state, it's a purple state. And look at what happened in the presidential race. So that's something to watch. The, the amount of money, the amount of role that uh, Facebook and Twitter play in the election, the amount of pollsters uh, influence. So short term, long term, um, the, the conservative movement says this was a, a win because we showed the nation, whether it were minority voters on the border who wanted border security or more black Voters, but we got to remember where we started. When you go from 8% of the African American vote to 12 or 15, that is really good and we should congratulate. But it's not 20, it's not 30, it's not 40, it's not 50. And when you go from 28% of the Hispanic vote to 33, 30, it's not 45 or 50. And when you're about dead even with white voters with 52% with a college degree, then you've got some problems. And the problem is that this society in general, and the Democratic Party in particular, is increasingly one of wealthy people and subsidized poor people. And they tend to geographically cluster around the Great Lakes, but especially on the two coasts. And they have a complete dominance of Silicon Valley, Wall Street, media, entertainment, professional sports, Foundations, universities. And they're, so, whatever calculus the Republicans have to beat that or to preserve what they consider as a vanishing constitutional state, they've got to deal with that. And they've made some progress, but the odds are still overwhelming. The resources that the Democrats have, they basically have said in this election we don't really care what the people say you may think you have 51% but through polls or through extended voting or through mail in ballots or through analytics or through censoring twitter or facebook or celebrities or the administrative state in charge of like we we can nullify anything you want to do and i think They can for now.
0: Let's talk about foreign policy for a moment. That's the area where a a President Biden, like all presidents, would, would have the freest hand. It wasn't much of an issue on the campaign trail. We never had the foreign policy debate that was originally scheduled. And if we had, we might have heard about things like. Bob Gates, who, of course, spent a couple years as Barack Obama's secretary of defense, who said in his memoir, I think Joe Biden's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. And this, by the way, is in a section of the book where he's talking about how much he likes Biden. Um, Victor, presidential transitions in the early days of a presidency always bring with them the prospect that some adversary is going to test the united states what should be we what should we be watching on the foreign policy front well if i was
1: them them being our enemies i would go right for taiwan i would think you know what trump has been repudiated we let uh we we either let uh the world deal with the virus on its own or we relax or we were screwing around with some experimentation whatever the reason is they didn't react very well to it And they know that we were probably culpable in a variety of ways. And we just said, so what? What are you going to do about it? And Joe Biden has said basically that the Trump approach to China was wrong. And do we really think that 77-year-old and soon-to-be 78-year-old Joe Biden, somewhere around March when uh, China shoots down three or four Taiwanese airplanes or something along those lines, he would do anything? especially when the country is divided and his own party is run basically by leftists, and he's going to be, what, the old rump, bipartisan foreign uh, council on foreign relations voice. Uh, and I'm not saying that they're going to invade, but they're going to remind Taiwan that they're on their own and that Donald Trump unpredictability and no better friend, no worse enemy, that's over with now. And so, that they're going to try to, I think they're going to try to do something to remind Taiwan that they have a proximate enemy and a far distant fair weather friend that's turned foul.
0: Final question for you, Victor, picking up on a theme that you hit on earlier. We have had many, many conversations over the years about the role of identity politics. And the principle that you always come back to is that America works best. When it's a country where you can't tell who someone's going to vote for based on their last name and to the points you made earlier, Donald Trump overperformed with black voters. He's up around a third of Hispanics, which you saw in places like Texas and South Florida, He even looks to have made fairly significant inroads with LGBT voters to what. Do you attribute this and what does this tell us about the future of the Republican Party and for that matter, the Democratic Party?
1: Donald Trump was a surrogate for a lot of their anxieties and angers and frustrations. So when they go to work and they turn on, they go to the coffee lounge and LeBron James, a near billionaire pampered athlete, starts lecturing them how racist their country is. Or they, you know, they're driving home and some Antifa, a snot-nosed kid comes up and shuts down the highway and calls them a racist or a fascist or whatever. Or they just they turn on the news and it's the same old Donald Trump is satanic. Or they walk try to walk down Market Street in San Francisco and it's it looks like a third world country with homelessness or cars that are smashed in every morning when they wake up from theft that will not be in investigated much less it won't be indicted. And that that kind of is a force multiplying effects. So I say I just wanted to end and so they voted for Donald Trump the first time. They did many of them did it the second time. The difference I think the second time was that a lot of them as I said this in another interview, a lot of them were kind of like the peasants in we were like peasants in the Magnificent Seven. We called in the gunslinger, and then it was pretty scary. Or the some of the Sodbusters and Shane that had second thoughts because it got serious. And then they thought, you know, if Shane will just go away, or the Magnificent Seven will just leave, then maybe it'll all go back to the bad normal. But at least it'll be normal. So I think there were, and I think that was reflected, especially in white uh, college-educated voters, where he lost three or four demographics. And that really hurt him. So I think a lot of people thought, yeah, I voted for him, and I want somebody to speak up, and I want him to take the flack, and he might have to be chemotherapy to deal with this cancer, kind of toxic. But you know what? I didn't know what I was getting into. My gosh, if you're going to address long-term, late-term abortion, and you're going to address affirmative action, you're going to invest. Um, address illegal immigration and you're going to uh, address Title IX on campuses and then fracking and New Green Deal, I just, that's that's total war. I don't know if I can put up with that. So maybe good old Joe Biden, I remember he used to be kind of a nice guy from Scranton that was a moderate. Maybe I'll just either not vote or I'll vote for him. I think that for, you know, maybe five or 10 million voters thought that.
0: You've been listening to the Classicist Podcast with Victor Davis Hanson. Remember, you can read all of Victor's work at VictorHanson.com, and he's on Twitter at VDHanson. And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For Victor Davis Hanson, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. Podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.